Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. You feel so trapped when you have a bad neighbor. What fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. Okay, I'll put your kid in. With Margaret Abels and Amy Wilson. I am a mumble mouth this morning. A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to. It's not on you if it backfires. It just might backfire. Hey, everybody. Welcome to What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Amy. And this is Margaret. And today we're talking about, well, that backfire. (laughs) Things that we thought would go well, but that went terribly wrong. But before we do that, Amy, we're going straight to it. It's mailbag. Oh, yes. Wait a minute. Time for mailbag. Wait. Wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Check the mailbag. Okay, give me this week's mailbag. We got a comment on our Facebook group, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash what fresh hell cast. Come join us. This is from Kristen. We were talking on an earlier podcast about whether or not photos should be retouched. Right. And Kristen is a professional photographer. And this is what she says about retouching. I personally have a two week policy. That means I will retouch anything that wasn't there two weeks ago or will not be there in two weeks. No body changes, but yes, for scrapes, acne, etc. Etc. Just a thought. Yeah, that's exactly the right way to look at it. Yeah. I mean, I love it when people come to the Facebook group and they're like, let me solve this for you because that sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's exactly the right way to thread that needle. Although I will say I do have a school photo of my son when he had a black eye, which is something we could have retouched. And of course, I'm so glad. And I have this sort of little rascals picture of him with a shiner. Yeah. Some of them are too cute. Yeah. Yeah. We just got our school photos. Not that bad this year, guys. Not that bad. Oh, my daughter was like, retake. She's, she was horrified. I'm like, this is a very middle of the road, mediocre school photo. It's exactly as it should be. But she's going back in. But I will also say, because it kind of backfired, I was like, I'm leaning in on school photos. It'll be fine. And I'm going to choose the package that's not weird. And somehow I ended up with <laughs> magnets, Amy, like six magnets of like a pretty mediocre picture of my kid. And I'm just like, that backfired. There's a very limited market. Yeah. Who wants those? Well, that backfired. Yeah. I thought I was just getting like, let me just get the normal, normal only. And guess what? I didn't get normal. I got abnormal. 
you're in good company today because we went to our Facebook group and we said, what are things that you thought would work out well? And actually just the opposite. And you guys came with the answers, as always. As usual, hundreds of responses. And <laughs> we might have to do two of these. This might be a part one of two. Yeah, this is going to be a two-parter, I feel, because there are so many good ones. And I'll start, Amy, with my own example. I feel like I've said on before on the podcast, beware any experience that begins, this will be fun. <laughs> Now, sometimes it works out. I was thinking, well, the RV trip, but like the RV trip, I wouldn't undo. It was great. Like it was kind of a nightmare. It was super hard. We spent seven days in an RV myself. My husband wasn't able to come and I ended up going with my father-in-law and I was like, this is going to be an abject nightmare. And it was kind of fun. But I will say in general, a lot of the things where I thought to myself, you know, what would be fun end up going horribly wrong. And we're now planning a Disney World trip. And I will say Disney took some hits on this one. Okay. Because I think it's the <laughs> expectation. It's the, what do you call it? Sunken costs, I believe you call it. Like your sunken cost fallacy. Yes. It's thousands and thousands of dollars in. Right. And I've stood in line for 90 minutes for this ride. And even though everybody's cranky and hungry, like the fuel lights are on, we should have had dinner before we got in this line. There's only another half an hour. So I'm going to keep standing here. Yeah. And you're in, they call it in for a penny, in for a pound, good money after bad. And I do find myself to be the Disney World Cassandra where I'm just like, this may go horribly. One thing I will say for myself is that my kids are now 13, 11 and nine. So they're on almost the old end for Disney. But because of the pandemic, we had to delay the trip for two years. So I'm hoping... I think the little kids in Disneyland, it's a nightmare because you can get there and you just, you're hosed. So Raven says she took her son to celebrate his second birthday at Disney World two months after having his baby sister. Majorly overshot our ability to manage both babies and how little he would care at this age, whether we were at Epcot or the playground down the street. Raven Samesies, we did this. It was really important to me to get the kids to Disney to have that experience. And it didn't backfire. I think my kids were three and two when we took them the first time. And (laughs) the only thing that backfired was, of course, like, you never know until you get in that situation. Will your kid run toward Donald Duck or scream? So I have all these photos of me standing next to Donald Duck while my two-year-old is trying to climb like over my shoulder to, you know, bolt in the other direction. Just terrified. What is that parental instinct when it's going wrong? Like you've got a shrieking child whose eyes are rolling back in their head as if you're about to like toss them into flames. Yeah. And you're like, you must go to Donald Duck and I must take a picture of you and Donald Duck, even though you are clearly having a psychiatric meltdown. Yeah. I mean, I've seen lots of things on Facebook just recently actually saying like, why are we doing this with the Santa and the Easter Bunny and the like, it's kind of funny, but it's also, you know, are you traumatizing your child by making them sit on a stranger's lap? I mean, I don't think you are, but I do think it's funny that I have done it and everybody has done it. Like, you're clearly terrified and miserable, but I will force you into the arms of this giant duck who is absolutely terrified. Like, I will not walk away from this experience. I didn't make them do that, but I do have all these pictures of me, like, leaning in. You know what I mean? Like, yes. have the kid on one hip and on the other hip, I'm leaning in towards Donald Duck. Like, why did I want that photo? You're forcing that moment. Yeah, it's fascinating. Right, right. It has backfired. And it's not only little littles. Jennifer says she took her six-year-old. They went on Pirates of the Caribbean. He got scared. And ended up screaming, I don't want to go on anything dark, scary, high, or with talking birds. Oh, no. So that's every 
anything. Not the magical experience she was expecting. It's a small world. Uh, that's not really dark. It might have talking birds in it, though. Yeah, that's funny. Like, talking birds was where he drew the line. He was like, I will not accept any more talking birds. Yeah, you have to be ready. You're setting up the high expectations and the sufferings and the gap, right? Like, Disney World is, this will be the most magical thing that ever happened. And, you know, maybe, maybe not. Your catchphrase, the sufferings and the gap, is really just highlighted in this. I mean, it's the classic, mom thought this would be fun, and it's not fun at all. I will say that our listener Crystal lead in hard with having kids was her thing that kind of backfired. Not as fun as she thought as it turned <laughs> right. out. Sorry, Crystal. <laughs> yeah. A humbling experience, Danielle says, parenthood in general, especially being a first-time mom during the pandemic. Oh my gosh. We see you first-time moms during pandemics, right? Yeah, it gets better, too. I mean, I do think in general, like we say it all the time, but I just uh, I wouldn't go back for a million. My aunt Terry always says I wouldn't take a million for one of them and I wouldn't give a penny for one more. And like, <laughs> that's it. Like, it's like I'm done and I'm glad I'm done and I love them. But I don't you'll never drag me back to hell. <laughs> As I've said before, I'm listening to Angela's Ashes on Audible and I'm going to keep saying it until everybody listens to it because it's so good with Frank McCourt reading it. Guys, give in already. Amy is obsessed. And I'm at the point in the story now where they have had, I think, like six or seven children. And it's in Ireland and they live in abject poverty and a couple of them have died. And anyway, the mother says, Alfie's the youngest. He'll be the enemy. You know, no more babies. And so the father says to the wife, well, uh, you know, a wife has to do her wifely duties to her husband or else she'll burn forever in hell. And she's like, that looks pretty good to me, eternal damnation compared to another baby. <laughs> She's like, I'll take yeah. it. I'll take it. Yeah. Anything but this. Here's something that didn't go well for Tracy. Swaddles, sleep sacks, wearable blankets, and magic suits. She tried every product on the market to keep her boys cozy and ensure they got the best sleep, but never found the one and ended up with a closet full of them. Yeah. This reminds me of my well that backfired. Somebody convinced me when my first was born that I should do the baby wise method. It was this idea that you have to, you know, wake your kid every three hours, like make them wake up, feed them that, you know, mom is in charge. I mean, and I know that that's sexist to say, but that was what the book was like. Mom decides when the nap starts. Mom decides when the nap ends. You know, take your three-week-old and put them on an insane schedule, and then you'll get like 10 hours at night. And this, it works for some people. And so our close friends who are a couple years ahead of us in the parenting journey were like, you have to do this. So I did this with a kid who was colicky and had reflux and all kinds of issues that weren't quite clear to me yet and was trying to impose, like I was setting an alarm to wake up at two in the morning and wake a deeply sleeping baby who would then scream while I was breastfeeding him. It was a disaster. It Oof. resulted in so much less sleep for either one of us. I will say slightly same says the one thing that terrified me because I'm a person who needs my sleep. I just do not. Some people can really function without sleep, but I'm not one of them. I'm just going behind the scenes. Margaret's a little tired this morning. She didn't get enough sleep last night. You guys, I had a late night <laughs> and I am a mumble mouth this morning and I'm like hitting the wrong buttons to record. I really <laughs> just like if I go under six hours of sleep, I'm useless. And I wanted kids, but I really had like an abject fear of the lack of sleep. I just thought, I don't know how I'm going to do it. Justified. Yes. Yes. And so, yeah, I was onto something as it turned out. But I 
obsessed about it in a way that was really crazy. And I read these books and I was highlighting them like, this is how you do it. Yes. And that did turn out to be something that made me crazy. And it kind of backfired. I can say that about, I feel like if my takeaway from young kids is my kind of, I will figure this out and make it work, whether it was sleep or potty training or feeding. And I will say my kids are bad eaters and I don't think I did a good job at getting them to eat a range of foods. But even now my kid is 13 and randomly he'll be like, you know what I love, you know, pesto chicken or whatever, things that I would have never in a million years thought he would eat. I know that doesn't seem like a very advanced dish, but like he's just coming out of it and eating different things. And I just wasted a lot of my life being like, he will only eat chicken nuggets for the rest of his life. I thought you were going to say you wasted your time. Like I'm thinking back to this baby wise situation where I was like, the evidence in front of me was that this was not working for me or my child. But I read in a book that some guy in a book that I had highlighted said that it had to be this way. And so you keep going, right? You keep moving forward with this. You press on. You just keep banging your head against the wall. Forced feeding thing that is just not working for you instead of saying, oh, this was a terrible idea. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, I just wish I could have the like 3 a.m. panicky cold sweats. My child doesn't eat the rainbow moments back. Like it, it didn't help. It didn't make anything better. And I just wasted a lot of time worrying about it. I love this one. Katie says, they purchased a lakeside cottage thinking it would be a place where they would take their children for summer and winter vacations for years to come. Two years later, while pregnant with their first kids, our camp neighbors started firing rifles from their porch at explosive targets on their front lawn. Sometimes this even happened in the middle of the night, occasionally waking us up at 2 or 4 a.m. No amount of reasoning or threatening could get them to stop. Eventually, we took a loss and sold a camp to somebody who seemed unconcerned with the neighbors. Rowdiness. Oh, oh my gosh. This gives me the cold chills. Like the <laughs> the worry of the bad neighbor. My sister had a really bad neighbor at one point, and you know, just loud music. And then there were like the notes on the door back and forth, like your music's too loud, you're old, I hate you, stop bothering me about my music. Like, and I just thought it really there is something that you feel so trapped when you have a bad neighbor. There is just something so awful about that experience. You've constant conflict. Yeah. And you are. I mean, you've purchased real estate. Yeah. At least my sister's place was a rental. She had a lease, but she could eventually know that she was getting out of it. But that's right. You've sunken all this money in and then you're just like, (laughs) oh, no. Yeah. I mean, sympathies. Here's another house buy from Caitlin. She bought a house for her mother-in-law who ended up hospitalized five weeks after they closed. Passed three and a half months later. They had huge surprises with structural issues. The mother-in-law never got to live in it. And now it's not habitable. So there's that. And they own it. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Huge surprise structural issues. Caitlin, I mean, I've been there, but there should be no such thing as a huge surprise structural issue. There's only a huge structural, you know, undisclosed structural issue until after the closing. Yeah. And truly, like the stress of selling a home is so bonkers. And when we moved from Los Angeles, we were on the brink. I mean, we truly had like a U-Haul packed in our driveway and the house we were buying in New York fell through, didn't pass inspection. And then we lost the offer on our house in Los Angeles. And then I was truly like behind the wheel of this U-Haul thinking, and this was the 800 square foot house that I've mentioned before that was not full of happy memories. 
And I just kept thinking, and I had sold all the furniture. Like, are we going back in and like rebuying furniture and staying another year? And I was just like, we're pulling out of the driveway. Like, this could be our finance. You can really ruin yourself financially with bad, simple kind of real estate mistakes. And we did end up, you know, for two more months trying to sell the house. God. It was in the city. Someone broke in and was living in it. We had to get them. I mean, it was truly one of those situations where <laughs> I woke up every morning with that feeling of like, oh, no. And it wasn't like the baby books and it wasn't like the eating a rainbow where I'm like, I'm being silly. It was like our entire financial future was just spiraling down the drain. And if we had gone a year without selling the house, we would have been <laughs> completely hosed. Oh, real estate. God bless you. It is. It seems like a good idea, but man, it is fraught. All right, Amy, we'll be back with even more things that backfired. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses. First two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is... Toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. So we agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code motherhood at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code motherhood for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. Just remembered another thing that totally backfired when my kids were little. We went on vacation. Same kids I took to Disney World when they were too young. We went to Jamaica and they had a petting dolphins, get to know the dolphins <laughs> mm. encounter adventure, which we eagerly signed up for. 
our two little boys, weren't they going to be so lucky? Again, I have photos. I will find one and put it up on Facebook of us holding the kids, right? And putting our arms out to pet the dolphin while... Oh, please. Like the two kids, both of them this time, scream. And we were so invested, of course, financially invested, but also like, I want to touch a dolphin. So we ended up... They're losing their minds. One of us, we had to take turns. One of us standing on the shore with our two just completely screaming meltdown children and one in the water. Of course, one of those kids turned out to have a raging double ear infection that I was missing because I was so focused on why aren't you enchanted by these dolphins? Like, that's why he was screaming. Mm. That little like the dolphins were making were like blowing his poor eardrum. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Dolphins were like, and he was like, ow. There's no way to test this stuff, you know? There's no way to run an A-B test on like, will my kid want to pet a dolphin or will it terrify them? It might terrify them. Well, Shivanji has your back on this one, Amy. She says, all the fun and exciting kid-friendly activities and fairs that just made my poor son's sensory sensitivity crazy. Most memorably, breakfast with Santa and watching Polar Express 3D, <laughs> unmitigated disasters. <laughs> 3D. I have a sensory uh, sensitive child as well. And this is, I always, I wish I had heard your advice back when I had little kids. Parent the kid you have. And like, yeah, you know, I just, that this will be fun. It's fine that kids don't want to do some things, but I feel like we just, again, it's shoving, you know, the screaming two-year-old at Chippendale. Like you have to, I mean, Chippendale, the costumed characters, not the men's nude review. (laughs) Chippendale, the chipmunks. Which came first? We're going to do a deep dive on that. Good. Do some research, Amy. Get to the bottom of that. But I do, I have made that mistake. And I had a kid who was terrified of costume characters. And I will say she was my third. And by that time, I was able to make the choice. She stayed home when we went to Disneyland because she was terrified of costume characters. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like she would just start crying. And I thought she will, if I bring her, she's going to cry all day. But if she had been my first, I would have been like, she's coming and I'm going to drag this screaming child and shove her at different princesses and animals. Right. While she cries. Donald Duck is nice. (laughs) He's so nice. Also, the person in the Donald Duck costume is like 4'10". Usually they get a very tiny person to be in the Donald Duck costume. Doesn't matter. And then there are some kids. I went to Disney World with my family and my sisters. So I was like, I was 14 and I had sisters who were two and three at the time. So I remember it very well. Anyway, like it always happens. Like one kid is terrified. My other sister, we always laugh about how she's like, sure, like bad guy from Robin Hood, lion who has like an angry face. Like I'll hug you. Like we have pictures of her. Just, she loved them all. You know, running up to just embracing the most random, the Tweedledum and Tweedledee who do look kind of scary. No, not to her. They have like pointy eyebrows. Yeah, not to her. She loved them. Yeah. Kate had a similar experience going to Chuck E. Cheese with a highly sensitive child on a Saturday afternoon. That didn't go well. She said didn't know he was highly sensitive at the time. What a way to find out. Yeah, Yeah. well, she found out the hard way. This is an important category, I think. Caitlin says she got a big plastic tote with handles as a toy bin. It's just so easy. You just put all the toys in there. Apparently, the tote is the best toy, Caitlin says. So all the toys get emptied out on the floor and the tote becomes a picnic table or something to hide under or something to climb into every single day. I mean, we need to do a whole It Gets Better Mm -hmm. episode, Amy. But let me tell you, 
not having toy like fabric boxes full of toys in my house is the greatest thing <laughs> yes. that's ever happened to me. Yes. We still have Legos, which are a nightmare. We still have Legos. But I will say my Lego kid is very into keeping the Legos in a very specific way, which helps me out. What's the way? Like they're in a he okay. puts them back in the box. Uh-huh. Like he has a uh-huh. system for them because he likes them just so. Right. Which is good news because it means he's not like just throwing them all over the house. He's owning the problem now. Yeah. It's bad news because if, you know, the white piece with the two bumps on top that has a slight curve in it is missing, the <laughs> night is over. <laughs> but it's good news because he's not just dumping them everywhere. But... I, again, in the 800 square foot house of horrors, I just, everything, you know, we had one of those cube things with the eight different, you know, fabric boxes. One said cars, one said trains, one said, you know, puzzle, whatever it was. And it was like you said, like it was their job. My kids would just march in in the morning and it's like, dump, dump, dump. (laughs) And, you know, I read all the books that were like, you let them play with one thing and then they put it away before. This is how preschool teachers do it. I was too tired. I was basically just sitting on the couch and staring at them and being like, this is my life now. There's times, right? There's times it's just like everything goes in a bin and gets put away. And then sort of like once in a while on a rainy Sunday afternoon, I would be like, okay, time for a back to one and all the cars go with the cars. Because I did feel like the kids... And you throw out all the McDonald's toys that somehow got in there. Yeah. Yes. Because I did think the kids were less likely to dump stuff out when it was a little more organized and they could see what they wanted rather than here are just bins full of nonsense that it's more likely they dump it out looking for the white leg go with the two bumps that's slightly curved. You're not wrong. I don't know. I'm so glad that it's over. <laughs> Kelly thought it would be a good idea to invite her mother to live in their in-law suite. It worked great when she was traveling every weekend all winter, staying with other siblings, but then COVID hit. And she says, and it became too high risk to gallivant. It has been rough. But who the heck thought of this pandemic quarantine scenario? Yeah, we did not solve for that. I know somebody who was involved in like a brand new relationship and the girlfriend of, you know, very short duration flew to see him like the day that Tom Hanks got COVID and ended up with him for like four and a half months. Well, you know, Neil Kramer is a friend of ours and he did a quarantine in Queens. I'll put a link to him because we've talked about him before. He ended up his ex-wife came to visit and New York City and then felt like she couldn't leave and couldn't fly because it was the Tom Hanks weekend, as you say. So she went to stay with him and his mother in a one bedroom apartment in Queens where they still live, you know, 600 days into this crazy situation. They take pictures. It's the craziest situation. Yeah, there's going to be a whole genre of like film and TV and movies and novels about like accidental partners accidentally thrown together in the quarantine. I'll tell you what backfired for me is the open plan apartment during, you know, a pandemic. (laughs) Doors are so great. I can sing you that song. Oh, my open plan house. Oh, for a door. (laughs) Oh, for a door. Like, oh, gosh. I, I mean, I always say my aunt Terry, who's getting a lot of mentions on this episode, she was saying that her grandmother used to call the kids the where's me's because she was Irish. And, and the kids would just be like, where's me hat? Where's me notebook? Where's me backpack? Whatever it was. And she was like, your problem is your where's me's can find you wherever you are in the house. And that's it. Like as soon as wherever I am in the house, I can hear someone be like, mom, where's me socks? Although they don't say it that way because they're not adorable Irish lads. What if you train them to? Yeah, maybe that would help. I don't know if it would make it better or worse. Casey or Cassie says 
She thought it would be fun to take her kids on an easy, kid-friendly hike. (laughs) In quotes. She (laughs) underestimated her ability to chill as they walked along drop-offs like it was nothing. I made them go single file and thought I was going to have a stroke. I have definitely done this and... I remember we took a trip when we were kids in an RV, the original RV trip, and we went to the national parks kind of, and we all remember it as magical, but I definitely remember my mom like yelling a lot and being kind of like anxious. And now that I've done a couple of things, like, of course, my mom had read the brochure that's like, if a bear starts sniffing you, lay down and play dead. And like, don't, you know, sometimes the trail erodes and you fall to your death like she just saw the entire thing basically and we were young kids scrambling and rambling around and and I'm sure it was just a nightmare for her oh we did a mountain biking trip so my kids are all teenagers now 14 17 18 but this was like five years ago so let's say they were nine to 14 and we did a mountain biking thing we'd never mountain biked before and we were on a vacation and the Guy was like, come on, everybody, let's go. And I could not enjoy it at all because we didn't know what we were doing. And of course, my kids have no problem not knowing what they're doing and speeding down a mountain on a mountain bike. And I'm watching behind them like, ah. And so, you know, some poor tour guide has to ride in the back with the scary old lady with the mom. And he's like, come on, you can do this. And you're like, stop talking to me, Gaggy. They thought that I was riding slowly because I was having a hard time pushing the wheel. I'm like, that's not it at all. Like, I both have to and cannot see my kids, you know, like down the mountain at top speed, just like so actively dangerous. It was not a family fun day for me, at least. Not at all. Not fun at all. Chelsea says leaving her house ever is something that has backfired (laughs) on her. She has a one and a four-year-old. Yeah. Stay home, Chelsea. She's not wrong. Stay home. Just pretend that COVID never ended and you're still quarantined and just stay home. We found out you can do that. Amy, not you, a different Amy, took her older kids, 11 and 12, to a haunted house thought they were old enough. It would be fun. I had this survival instinct kick in. And at the entrance, I couldn't make myself go in. Rather, I asked a family walking behind us, strangers, if my kids could go with them instead and I would meet them at the exit. My kids still talk about how I abandoned them at a haunted house. So what backfired is that you thought you could handle the haunted house, Amy, but then you couldn't. (laughs) Yeah. And that your kids are still mad at you to this day. It seems that they are, yeah, damaged not by the haunted house itself, but just by your abandonment has become the scariest thing. I mean, kids are very sensitive to this. I will say I have a child who needed an emergency appendectomy last week. Yeah. And as Amy well knows, did complain to me for a full 24 hours about his worsening stomach pain. And I continually told him to suck it up that he was just constipated and that once he pooped, everything would be fine. And in fact, he was really on the verge of sepsis from a ruptured appendix. And he has (laughs) not let me forget about that. That will be with me for quite some time, I believe. So tell us, because I think it's useful information for those of us who have never had to deal with this before. Like what tipped it over? What made you be like, oh, we need to go to the emergency room? I am going to say briefly in my own defense that I, two months into the height of the pandemic in New York, so whatever it was, May maybe. Yeah, At a time when it's like, do not go to the hospital unless you really, really, really have to go. He came down, doubled over in stomach pain. I said, that's appendicitis. We brought him to the emergency room and they sent us home saying he was just constipated. And two days later, he felt better. So when this started again, so that I did get a little tricked because now I know that that was a flare up of his appendix the first time around. Yeah. Yeah. 
if we had brought him home and it continually got worse, we would have brought him back. But it resolved. But that can happen. Apparently, he had these flares. So, in my own defense, when he had stomach pain the first time, you know, if your kid has sudden onset Intense. stomach pain with any kind of fever, it's time to go to the doctor. Right. But because I had been tricked, because we had been through this once before and they sent us home, I would just got it so clearly in my head that it was indigestion that I didn't take him for way too long. So anyway, I would say if your child is complaining of any kind of some sudden onset stomach pain, it's probably time to go to the ER. Yeah, but I totally understand that. Right. When it wasn't my fault, which I would like you to explain in a long written statement to my son, please. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of the person's fault, though. The first time I was like, oh, get out of here, mom. It's constipation. You probably got a little bit of an eye roll. I'm imagining I wasn't there, but just to sort of like, oh, here's another one overthinking things. Go home. We don't need you at this hospital. Yeah, and it's COVID. Like, what are you doing? Go home. Yeah, yeah. What are you doing here? Right. Listen, it was not my fault, and I need everyone to write an affidavit on my behalf to my son. I love this one. Elizabeth says... Reading books geared to help kids with transitions or challenges. My kids were fine going to daycare until I read them books assuring them mommy always loves you and comes to get you at the end of the day. Until then, they didn't have a concept that this was a challenge. Note to my younger self, there are kids who need to read reassuring books about hospitals and dentists. You don't have those kids. I loved this one. It had never occurred to me. Elizabeth and Maeve both had her back. Maeve said her son had no fear of doctors, dentists, or shots until Daniel Tiger had an episode about being scared. Damn you, Daniel Tiger. We banned the show immediately, but years later, she's still scared of appointments. It's funny, this thing of like, it'll be okay. It's like, wait, I thought it would be okay until you said something about it. Right. Interesting. I never had that with my kids, but I would have never thought of it. That's a good one. I can see that that totally backfires. All right. We'll be back with even more backfires after this, Amy. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health, and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E. Lumen.me and use the code Fresh at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. 
So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder, and I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. And now, the first year of marriage versus the 10th year of marriage. From the What Fresh Hell podcast. First year. Let's stay in bed all day. 10th year. If you get breakfast for the kids while I shower, I'll give you five bucks. First year. You're cooking dinner? I wanted to cook you dinner. 10th year. Who's calling the pizza place? First year. I love it when we just talk. 10th year. Honey, we need to make an appointment to have a conversation about these orthodontist bills. First year. Sexy lingerie. Tenth year. School fundraiser t-shirt. First year. Dinner and then dancing. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Tenth year. You'll clean up the kitchen and I'll go to sleep before 9 p.m. Oh, that sounds wonderful. First year. I'm so glad we stayed up until 3 a.m. hashing out that important relationship-related issue. Tenth year. Look, I've long since decided we're in this together and we're going to make it work somehow, so let's get some sleep. This has been the first year of marriage versus the tenth year of marriage. From the What Fresh Hell podcast. Okay, so Alice says the instant backfired for her. She says, I read online that it would cook frozen chicken, never tried it again. Now, it does cook frozen chicken because I've done it and it's miraculous when you need it to, but it tastes a little weird, I will say. It's like microwaving chicken. I mean, listen, we've all fallen for the like, it slices, it dices, it makes your life easier. <laughs> like, right. I mean, there's a lot of funny like YouTube stuff on, you know, parodies of like the Snuggie where it starts with like someone like trying to use the remote while they have the blanket on and like the blanket's somehow choking them and like flinging the remote out of their hands. And it's like, is it really that hard to have a blanket on? Like, no, you need a blanket with arms, you know? I have an Instant Pot and I will say the first six months, I went all in and thought my life has changed by this, you know, gift from God. And now I haven't used it in months and months. I did get the air fryer top for it and I make fries in it now. They come out pretty good. Wait, you can make a, your pressure cooker into an air fryer? You have to get a different lid mm. and that's the air fryer lid. See, you learn something every week in this podcast. Are they that much better than the oven? I'm not sure. Right. Right. I don't know. But I fell for this. I got an apple core because we go to the, you know, apple picking. And I was like, oh, I'll core my apples and that'll be easy. I truly, this year we came home from the pumpkin, from the apple farm. And I couldn't find the apple core because, of course, it's always in my way. And then I hid it somewhere to get it out of the way. And then this year, all of our apples just rotted because I can't even <laughs> find the apple core. That's my life. <laughs> Pamela has a similar complaint. As cozy season arrives, she loves using the slow cooker for dinner. However, over the years, every attempt she's made to make anything vegetarian in our crock pot always comes out tasting like actual dirt. <laughs> we cook veg often, just not in the crock pot. Something about crock pot vegetables just does not work for me. I don't get it. I don't like crock pot to me is just like soup, like just like you know, minestrone with those like diced potatoes and it just kind of falls apart. My crock pot go to is the pot roast. I love a pot roast. Oh. Yeah, right. Exactly. Like throw something in there and, and six hours later, you can shred it and put it in something else. Got to sear it first. Right. That's my only advice. You got to put a little hard sear on the outside. Otherwise, it's a little mushy and unappealing. But if you get the hard sear and then you crock pot it, oh, that's like one of my top 10 meals of all time. Love it. <laughs> Robin says preschool sports leagues backfire. 
It's my own version of David Foster Wallace's A Supposedly Fun Thing I'll Never Do Again. You know, have you read that book? No. It's so good. Is it about preschool sports leagues? No, it's about him going on a cruise. Oh. And it's an amazing, amazing, funny book. If you haven't read it, a supposedly fun thing I'll never do again. Way pre-COVID. It's, it has nothing to do with like COVID cruises, but it's really a great book. My sister and brother-in-law just had to go to bat for a sort of, you know, five, six-year-old sports league in which their kid was never playing because the coach wanted to win. Ugh. And, you know, it had to be sort of like their five years old and the kid is crying that you haven't put him in for three games. Can we reassess the goals for a preschool sports league, right? It's tough out there. And I'm sure the answer was probably not. I think it was probably like, okay, I'll put your kid in, you know, person who can play. Yeah, I don't know. I'm sure it was. It's worth going to bat for that, by the way. But yeah, it can backfire when you have uh, differing goals for the experience. Another source of my 3am terror chills is that none of my kids play sports at all. I have one kid in gymnastics, but even that that seems to be falling by the wayside. And I just, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. It just was too, it was anathema to me on every level. Like getting up early, going out, standing around, having to make conversation. I just couldn't do it. Fighting with a coach about my five-year-old not playing. Yeah. I did it twice and I just thought never again. I get that sports are useful, but it's not in my DNA. I never played a team sport. And so it wasn't, you know, as important to me as it was to my spouse who, who did. And it's hard once they get into, we have, actually have an episode about this. It's hard once they get older because you can think like, well, they'll just play later. But your kid can't pick up baseball in seventh grade when there's kids who have been playing since they were six. Like it's too late. But my eighth grade daughter who never played a team sport for a lot of reasons, she joined the volleyball team this past fall at her school. And volleyball is the kind of sport you can kind of pick up in seventh, eighth grade, and it works. I started volleyball in high school. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, those things are there for you. So if you're in the position of like, but they'll never play D1 soccer if they don't go to the preschool sports league. Like There is time and there are sports that start a little later. Yeah. And spoiler alert, they're probably not going to play D1 soccer. Right. So right. it'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Melina says, working from home while my fella took care of newborn and toddler, I was meant to only be disturbed for the baby's feeds, but everyone in the house couldn't leave me alone. Not even the dog. Oh, especially the dog. Marshmallow comes and finds me. As soon as I sit down, she comes and looks up at me like, well, you're bored and starts like, you know, like crying and running around in a circle, wants me to play with her. Like, I don't need you to occupy my time, dog. Yeah, I'm not proud of how often I yell at my cat. I have nothing for you. Leave me alone. <laughs> right, like I'm it's done. like I'm closed. She just comes and like walks through my feet. Melina <laughs> has. It's like one more person to yell at me. She's subject to the where's me's when she works from home. Yeah, it's the where's me food, says the cat. <laughs> Well, as they get older, at least they can sort of like my daughter will see something on TikTok she wants to try to make or something. And then when they're driving it, it's great. Instead of this should be fun. Let's make reindeer cookies with sprinkles. And, you know, it's a huge mess and they cry and they don't want to do it. And the cookies burn. Yeah. And also it's like Christmas decorating. It's five minutes of enthusiastic participation. And then like you do the rest. Right. Cookbooks. Backfire for some of our listeners. Holly says, I'll buy a new cookbook thinking I'll cook my way through it and I'll stick with it for two to three weeks and then I'm done. Cook once, eat all week. I'm looking at you. And Caitlin says, I tried that book. We got sick of riced broccoli or whatever. 
Yeah, I mean, I uh, this is again, this is the apple core. This is these, it slices, it dices, but wait, there's more. Like the idea, I mean, the writer's version of this is notebooks and pens. Like the thing that's stopping you from writing the great American novel or screenplay is that you haven't found the right combination of notebook and pen yet. Yeah. And cookbooks falls into a similar category, like the beautiful, lovely cookbook. And yeah, I just will say that I replaced, I pulled out all my cookbooks. We had a cookbook shelf and I, I replaced it with a bar in the house. I have a cookbook shelf too and that I don't use. Yeah, I got rid of it and I put the alcohol there instead. I mean, I do have recipes, but at this point I find more of them online. Yeah, you're right. That is prime real estate in my kitchen that's being taken up by... Every once in a while, I'll pull out some cookbooks and peruse them and try to get inspired. But yeah, I mean, the idea that this exists in book form is, is mistaken, Amy. And the idea that buying another one will solve the problem of, you know, the 18 cookbooks you have already is not solving for you. But this new one is going to solve it. Yeah, not correct. Amy, I have to highlight our dear friend, Janelle Hanchat, who was a guest on our podcast. And the thing that backfired, she thought it would be a good idea, but it backfired for her was whiskey. (laughs) And you can read her book, I'm Just Happy to Be Here, and follow her story. But if you know Janelle and you know her story, it's all worked out great for her in the end, but whiskey was not the right choice for her as it turned out. Yeah, yeah. And Amy, I think we'll wrap with a big topic that backfired for several people, and that was marriage. Oh, interesting. They thought that would be a good idea. Getting married at 19, Nancy thought was a good idea. Yeah, yeah. This can go either way. Listen, it can work out really well. It can work out medium. Yeah. And it cannot work out at all. I went to high school with a girl who got pregnant while we were still in high school, married the dad. Like, they're now like grandparents and seriously one of the most happily married, well-matched couples I've ever met. So young marriages can be great. Yeah. My brother and his wife met at 19, certainly. They didn't get married until two years after college, but met at 19. You can definitely do it. You can definitely meet somebody at a young age and have it work out. But uh, if it does it, it's a pretty big backfire, Amy. (laughs) It's not on you if it backfires. It just might backfire. Totally not on you. As you said, we have so many more things that backfired for people that we will be doing a Things That Backfired Part 2 episode, Amy. All right. I can't wait. I know. We've got to get through all of the misfires, malfires, and backfires that we have waiting for us. (laughs) Bad decisions. Awesome. Can't wait. (laughs) Things that went awry. You know what won't backfire, Amy, on you? Buying merch for the holidays for all your friends, families, and relations. That's true. A cozy oldie lock sweatshirt will never disappoint you. I reach for it again and again. Uh, My A Thing and a Thing notebook is open right here in front of me. And it's where I'm going to write the great American novel because it's the perfect notebook. Just as soon as you get the right pen. Yeah, that's the only problem. I don't have a pen. That's the only thing holding me up right now. Go to bit.ly slash whatfreshmerch or just go to our website, whatfreshallpodcast.com and you can click on the merch up in the top bar and you can shop, shop, shop. Shop to your heart's content. And with that, friends, we'll talk to you with more Backfires next week. So long. Thanks for listening. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. 
Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.